Substitutions, right? We are big on substitutes today. But like we saw in the video, sometimes the substitutes aren't as good as the original. A copy of a copy, things start to break down. When I was in India several years ago, there was this guy on the street who was selling genuine name brand watches. And he had this really cool Adidas watch for only $2. And it was genuine, he assured me. And I looked at it really closely, and it said it was an Adibus watch. And the logo was, uh, was turned around backwards. But man, of course I bought it. I got it on right now. You know, it, it was, how cool is that? I'm the only one in the room with an Adibus watch. Well, we're big on substitutes today. Instead of sugar, there's saccharin. There's aspartame, there's stevia, truvia, sucrose, it goes on and on. Some of you, you go to the pharmacy and they say, would you like the name brand prescription or would you like generic, right? And, and, and there are substitutes. There are people who substitute for mashed potatoes, mashed cauliflower. I don't think so. I'm just saying, not all substitutes work, all right? Sometimes you just got to have the real thing. So now, so think about this. Okay, how would you fill in the blanks? Just think about it. Without blank, it is impossible to blank. You know, we could say without oxygen, it's impossible to breathe. I mean, there just are no substitutes for that. Without strings, it's impossible to play the guitar. Now, you could beat on the guitar and make it a drum, but you got to have the strings if you want to have something to strum. Without bullets, it's impossible to shoot a gun. Now, you could whack somebody with the gun, but you can't fire it if it doesn't have a bullet in the chamber. Without water, it's impossible to swim. And you say, oh, but Mark, you could swim in iced tea. Yeah, except you gotta have water to make iced tea. So you say, well, you could swim in orange juice. Yeah, except that it takes water to grow orange trees to have orange juice. Say, well, you could swim in milk, but if cows don't have water, they can't make milk. So you could argue that without water, it's impossible to swim. Without ice cream, it is impossible to be on vacation. Now, I realize that's an opinion matter. I stand behind that one, though. Once, maybe twice a day, ice cream on vacation, that's the way our family rolls. Now, listen, without blank, it's impossible to blank. There are some things that are just the, the lowest common denominators. They are the foundational principles. They are the absolute necessities of life, things that we would consider essential to life. And substitutes just won't cut it. Well, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, God loves you whether you have faith or not. God pursues you. He wants to have a relationship with us whether we have faith or not. But God will never be pleased with us if we refuse faith. And so, friends, if that's true, then faith must be incredibly important. So what is it? I mean, seriously, what is faith? How do you put a definition to that? Faith is believing in something? Well, sure. But it's got to be more than simply believing because the Bible says the demons believe in God and he certainly isn't pleased with them. Hebrews 11, chapter 1 in the New Testament and the New International Version of the Bible says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. The King James Version says it's the substance of things hoped for. The New Living Translation says faith is the confidence that 
what we hope for will actually happen. And then you go on and read in Hebrews eleven six, Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So we might say that faith is the confident assurance that God is real and it's the confident trust that His promises are true. That's what faith is. But what does faith look like? What does it mean to be a person of faith? Faith is belief in action. Faith inspires movement. In some way, it motivates behavior. It's not just a static thing. It's an active thing. We talk about walking by faith because it's not just sort of nodding your head. Yeah, sure, there's a God, whatever. But rather, it's outward action that's motivated by inward convictions. I mean, is this making sense? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We must have faith, but it's got to be an active living faith. So, I got to thinking about this. I thought, what if you take out the negative words in that statement? Without faith, it's impossible to please, to, to please God. So then we would say that with faith, it is possible to please God. Not a guarantee that you will please him with faith because the reality is you can be a person of faith and still be living in rebellion against God. You'll be miserable because your conscience is going to eat you alive, but it's possible to be a person of faith and to still not please the Lord. What it takes is a living faith, a vibrant faith, an active faith, a life-transforming kind of faith. That's what's pleasing to the Lord. It's why the author of the book of Hebrews wrote chapter 11. Now, we're not sure who the author of Hebrews is. A lot of people think it was the Apostle Paul, and he may have written Hebrews. But whoever wrote it gave us chapter 11 to help us understand what faith looks like and to show us what should be happening in our lives if our lives are really motivated by faith, driven by our convictions. So understand, the book of Hebrews was written after Jesus had lived, died, risen again, and gone back into heaven. The early church has been established. The gospel is being spread throughout the known world. And many Jews are becoming Christians. And so Hebrews was written to the Jewish Christians or to the Jewish seekers who were checking out Christianity. See, these were people who knew the Old Testament. They embraced the Old Testament. They knew the history of the Jewish people. And so Hebrews looks back at the past and helps connect the dots between what happened in the Old Testament times and Jesus. And that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. So chapter 11, which has nothing to do with bankruptcy, by the way. We're not talking about that today. It gives a list of people in the Old Testament who were faithful to the Lord. People who lived lives of faith. They call it the roll call of the faithful. And they show us what it means to live by faith, what it means to walk by faith, because without faith, it is impossible to please God. So Hebrews 11.4 says this, By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. Cain and Abel were the first offspring of Adam and Eve who were the first humans that God created. 
Adam and Eve had lots of other sons and daughters. That's how the earth got started being populated. But Cain and Abel were the first ones born. And God was pleased, the Bible says, with Abel's sacrifice because he brought the best that he had. But God was not pleased with Cain's sacrifices. And we don't know exactly why. You know, maybe they were the leftovers. Maybe they were inferior in quality. Maybe his heart wasn't in it. But God was pleased with Abel. So Cain was jealous of Abel. God blessed Abel, and so Cain killed Abel. But did you notice what the author of Hebrews said about Abel? God spoke well of Abel's offerings. So I want to ask you a question. I'm not pointing any fingers. There's no pressure here. I just want you to be honest with yourself. Would God speak well of your offerings? Hey, have you noticed, Sam? Man, this guy is on it when it comes to offerings. Have you noticed, Sherry? I'm telling you, she's knocking you out of the park here when it comes to offering. I'm not talking about necessarily what you put in the offering plate or what you, you know, give on our new online app. It's just about what you're bringing to the Lord. This past Thursday, Peggy Marksberry and Lacey Teske and Carlene Ritter spent all day up here cooking spaghetti. And they did that so that a team of us could go over to Bardstown Primary School that evening and serve the people who had come that night. Last year, at parent-teacher night at Bardstown Primary School, they had about 40 people show up out of all these kids' parents. So we've kind of come along. We're partnering with the school. We said, what can we do to help? They said, we're trying to get parents here. And so we said, what if we do a dinner for parent-teacher night? And so we did, and we had almost 300 people come this year. It was incredible, this event at the school. What a great partnership. And you know what? I believe that God would speak well of that offering. It was an offering that would please him. Last night, the New Life Center had their, their chocolate extravaganza to raise money for that ministry. And lots of people from our church baked chocolate and donated items to the auction. And people attended, you know, to support the, the, the program there, it was awesome. But on Friday, I ran into Kirsten Johnston, who's one of our new members. She took a vacation day off work Friday so she could bake for this ministry because she believes in it. She took a day off from work. She burned one of her days so she could bake because she wanted to donate to a ministry. And I believe that God would speak well of that offering. People sacrifice time and money and items of value for the auction and they did these things and God would speak well of that I believe because here's here's the first lesson that we gain and it's we get it from Abel we get it from the the folks here at church faith means giving your very best to God that's just what faith is it means that you give your very best to God but now look at Hebrews 11 5 and 6 and we'll come back to these if you're jotting anything down we'll come back by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Enoch was a man in the Old Testament. 
early in the history of the world. The book of Genesis tells us about Enoch. He did not die. He was taken away by the Lord. Presumably, he was taken to heaven. I heard a preacher kind of explain it this way one time. He said, Enoch and God used to take long walks together. And one day, it was kind of late in the day, and God said to Enoch, Hey, Enoch, we're closer to my house than we are to yours. Why don't you just come home with me? And so he did. And there's something beautiful about that. The Bible says that Enoch pleased God. And what does it take to please God? It takes faith. That's what Hebrews says. Now look at verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. When Noah was alive, rain had not yet fallen on the earth. That's the part that things not yet seen. Somehow the atmospheric conditions of the world at that time were different than they are now. There's different theories on how God made sure that the, the earth was watered, plants and trees and animals. But the point is, people had never seen a flood before. But God says to Noah, I want you to build a big boat in the desert. And he did. And everybody thought he was crazy. But he did it because God said for him to do it. Because number two, faith says yes, even when it doesn't make any sense. Faith says yes, even when it doesn't make sense. Why would a person making a six-figure income give up that to go into ministry? But I know guys who've done that. Why would a young woman choose a life of purity when all her friends are sexually active? Why would a man on a business trip spend the evening alone in his hotel room when all his colleagues are out drinking and partying? Why would a person struggling to make ends meet continue to give faithfully to the Lord? Why would a teenager tell his parents the truth when a lie would be a whole lot easier? Because faith says yes, even when it doesn't make sense. It's about obedience. Now look at verse 8. By faith Abraham, here we're moving on, when he was called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. See, God called Abraham to be the father of his chosen people, the Jews. He promised that Abraham would get a, a new land, many descendants, and that through him the whole world would be blessed. And we know that the whole world's been blessed through him because through the line of Abraham we receive Jesus. But notice what it says here in Hebrews. Abraham obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. Now, we don't know exactly how this conversation played out, but I'd love to know what Abraham said when he went home and talked to Sarah, his wife. Guess what, honey? I've got a big surprise. Oh, I love surprises. What is it? Well, God says we're going to take a trip. Well, what kind of trip? I'm not exactly sure what kind of trip. He didn't tell me that part. Warm weather or cold? Well, that's a little bit of a gray area. How gray? Charcoal. <laughs> Okay, and she's like, so what are you saying? Well, God wants us to move, but I don't know where we're going to move to. Well, how long are we moving for? Well, I, I guess it's forever, I, I guess. You want me to pack up and move forever, and I don't know where we're going. And he said, yes, that's it, exactly. You pack the clothes, I'll roll up the tent, we leave in the morning. And that's kind of what it was like. Actually, they didn't just go, they followed like pack up and then follow in the morning. They didn't know where they were going, but they went. And that was a big deal 
But it wasn't the biggest deal with Abraham. See, God promised that Abraham and Sarah would have many descendants. And yet Sarah couldn't even manage to get pregnant once, much less have a household. And so there's this long series of events. You can read it all in Genesis. But God waited until Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 before Isaac was born. You talk about a miracle. Hebrews 11, 11 says, By faith Abraham, even though he was past age, I'll say, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered, he considered him faithful who had made the promise. Abraham had faith that God was faithful. Abraham was confident that God was worthy of confidence. Ninety and a hundred pushing a stroller. Max Lucado said Sarah was the only woman in town who paid her pediatrician with her social security check. It's a miracle. Because God kept his promise. Only things were about to get a whole lot harder. When Isaac, their son, was 10 or 12, maybe 14 years old, God came back. And he told Abraham that he needed to take Isaac out into the mountains and sacrifice him as a burnt offering before the Lord. And the idea of that is so shocking, it's hard to even talk about. How on earth could Abraham sacrifice, kill the son of God's promise? Now, the book of Genesis is so uncomfortable with this story itself that it tells us right off the bat, this was only a test. God wasn't going to really have Abraham do this. It was just a test. And so we could kind of relax a little bit as we're reading the story. But the problem is Abraham didn't know that it was a test. I mean, sure, we know that God hated child sacrifice, like the pagans were doing. But Abraham just didn't know. All he know is that God said to do it, and it's a nightmare. But listen to how Hebrews in the New Testament summarizes this Old Testament story. Verse 17, by faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who received the promises, oh, you're going to have many descendants. He was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead because he didn't have to follow through. See, it says that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He did not sacrifice him, but he offered him to God. And God said the offer itself was enough. Abraham's willingness proved his commitment. I've got a, a super close friend up in Indiana named Chase. Chase's dad is actually my age, and Tom and I were friends first, but Chase has become a good friend to me. He's like a son. You know, he, he's in his early 20s, super sharp guy. He hangs out with, with my son Daniel. I mean, I just love him. He went to, with Gail and me and some others to Best Eight Days. It's a young adult retreat that I teach at in Colorado each year, and Chase was there with us last year. And God is working in Chase's life. He's growing in his faith, and man, he, he's seeking God in every area of his life. I'm really proud of him. Well, Chase has been dating this young woman for about a year now. He's known her since elementary school. They Actually, a couple years, I guess. They, 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 dated, they never dated in high school, but right toward the end of their time at IU, before they graduated, they started seeing each other. And so now Chase is in Indiana working, and she's up in Wisconsin with a job. And you guys know, if you've ever been in a long-distance relationship, those can be hard. But Chase and I have talked about this relationship. He's talked with me and asked about that. And, and in one sense, it's getting more serious all the time, but it's also getting more confusing because the problem is this. Chase is not sure 
that she's on the same page with him spiritually. It's not that he doubts whether she's a believer. He just doesn't know if she's moving in the same direction that he is and if they're right for each other in God's eyes. So Chase made a decision that he would give up his relationship with her if that's what God wanted. A few weeks ago, he drove to Wisconsin to explain to her what he felt like God was doing in his life and that he just didn't know if them together was part of God's plan. And man, he agonized over that decision and he, his heart was in his throat on the drive up and he talked to me before the trip and he called me a couple times on the road and we talked things through. He wanted God to give him the right words to say. He wanted to talk to her with gentleness and with clarity. He wanted to be honest about his feelings. He wanted God to know that his relationship with God was more important than his relationship with his girlfriend. And so Chase called me the next day and he said, man, we had a great talk and she says she's on board with my faith and with following God and with all the things that God's teaching me right now. And he was thankful for that, but he also confided in me, only time will tell. Because he decided, I mean, how many 23-year-olds do this? He decided that his relationship with God was going to be more important than this most important relationship decision he'll ever make in his life. And I told him, you remind me of Abraham. He said, what do you mean? I said, I know it's not as gut-wrenching as being told to go out and sacrifice your son. But you've decided that your relationship with God is more important than any other relationship. And that's powerful. And here's what I think Abraham teaches us. Here's what I think Chase is helping me understand. That faith means giving up your dream so that God can reveal your destiny. Faith means giving up your dream so God can reveal what his destiny is for you. Okay, Hebrews 11 goes on. And it talks about Isaac and it talks about Jacob and Esau, the descendants of Abraham. It talks about Joseph. But then it says in verse 23 this. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. We'll talk about that in a second. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. So you have Moses' parents. The Old Testament tells us it's Amram and Jochebed. And they lived during the time in Egypt when the Israelites were slaves there. And the Pharaoh, or the king of Egypt, was getting nervous because the Hebrew slaves were starting to outnumber the, the Egyptians. They were afraid of an overthrow. So he made a command, an edict, that all the male Hebrew babies had to be thrown into the Nile River and drowned. Only Moses' parents refused to obey the king's decree. They put the baby Moses in the Nile River, but he was in a basket, and they conveniently placed him right where Pharaoh's daughter was known to go to bathe. So she stumbles across the baby in a basket. She adopts Moses into the royal palace. But rather than living out his days like a king, he grew up, he defied Pharaoh, he led the Israelites out of Egypt through the wilderness to the gateway of the promised land. Now Moses was far from perfect, but man, he defied the king so that he could be faithful to the king. Faith stands up for what's right even when it's not popular. Number four, 
Faith stands up for what's right, even when it's not popular. There are moral issues today that conservative Christian values and society's values clash about. Abortion. Gay marriage. A teenager is born biologically a male, but he identifies as female, so wants to shower in the girls' locker room. What do we do with all of that? I admit to you that issues are complex. I don't want to minimize other people's pain or heartache. But friends, faith stands up for what's right, even when it's not popular. Maybe, maybe it's treating people of a different race with respect. Maybe it's treating immigrants with compassion, even if that's not popular in some circles. Maybe it's respecting your parents when none of your friends do. Maybe it's learning how to disagree without being disagreeable. Faith stands up for what's right, in the right spirit, in the right way, but it takes a stand. Now Hebrews 11 goes on to talk about the Israelites passing through the waters of the Red Sea. You've probably seen this, probably watched a movie. Maybe it was back in the Charlton Heston spreading, you know, raising his staff and, and the waters parting. Maybe you watched the Disney movie a few years ago, um, Prince of Egypt. Both of those movies and others recount the story of the Exodus from Egypt, where God told Moses to lead the Israelites out. They come to the Red Sea. The army's coming behind them. And so God parts the waters of the Red Sea, and the Israelites pass through on dry ground. God tells Moses, raise your staff over the water. Somebody said jokingly that the associate minister's translation of the Bible doesn't say raise your staff. It says give your staff a raise. But anyway, it's beside the point. Moses raised his staff, God parted the waters. God's power and Moses' faith met together on the shore of the Red Sea. Because number five, faith means believing that God can do the impossible. Faith means believing that God can do the impossible. Now, he doesn't always work a miracle like a genie in a bottle. Your wish is not his command. But God does more than all we could ever ask or imagine. And faith knows that. Let me show you just, just a couple more things real quickly. In verse 30 of Hebrews 11, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. See, when Moses died, Joshua became the leader in Israel. And God brought Joshua and the Israelites to the promised land, but there were these pagans living in the land that they had to drive out. And the city of Jericho was this mighty fortress. It was this stronghold that, frankly, the Israelites didn't stand a chance against. So God said, don't worry, I've got this. And they said, how? And he said, don't worry, I've got it. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk around the city once a day for six days. On the seventh day, I want you to walk around the city seven times. And that's what they did. They marched around the city because God said to. And the folks living in Jericho are standing up on the walls watching this happen. And they're thinking, this is weird. What are these guys doing? Sunday, they marched around the city. Monday, they marched around the city. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they marched around the city. By now, the people are getting bored. All they're doing is walking. And on Saturday, they went around the city once, and then twice, and then three times, four times, five times, six times. Seventh time around the city, they shout, blow their trumpets, and the walls crumble down. And God miraculously gives the city to the Israelites. But you know what's fascinating to me about that story? In the Old Testament book of, of Joshua, in chapter 6, 
God is kind of laying out the plan for Joshua. It says in verse 1, Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out, no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. God said that before he told him what was going to happen. Before he told him about the walking around the city and, and the waiting and the seven laps on the seventh day. Do you, do you get what's going on? God said, see, I have delivered the city to you. And no, he didn't see it. And no, it hadn't been delivered yet. God just said it was going to happen. And so it was as good as done. And faith knows that. That if God makes a promise, he keeps it. So on the first trip around the city, nothing outward changed. There was no visible change at all. But God had already delivered the city into their hands. On the second day, third day, sixth day, the sixth trip around on the seventh day, nothing outward had changed, but God had already delivered the city into their hands. That's what faith is. Faith is persevering. Listen, it's persevering when nothing seems to be happening. It's doing what God says to do when nothing seems to be changing. It's being faithful to God's plan when God's plan seems to be stuck in the mud. It's trusting that God is telling the truth even when the evidence doesn't support it. That's what faith is. Maybe you're praying to meet just the right person. And you're looking for someone who shares your values and somebody who loves the Lord, but nothing's happening. So you're tempted to lower your standards. Maybe you've been super disciplined financially, but you still can't get ahead. And so you're tempted to just go out and throw caution to the wind and plunge yourself into debt. Maybe you've been struggling with your health and man, you can't seem to get better. And you're tempted to just give up on praying about it and just walk away from faith altogether. Maybe you're looking for a new job and nothing seems to be happening. People keep slamming the door in your face. I'm telling you, persevere even when nothing's happening because God will keep his promises. Now, in just a second, we're going to wrap up. Okay, we're going to be done. I'm going to read some last closing verses and we'll finish. But before we do that, I just want to say, you know, every, if you've been coming here, you know that every week I give you a bottom line. It's the thing you're supposed to remember if you forget everything else. We always have a bottom line. Well, today, you get to pick it. I've given you six options. This sermon ought to be worth six times what the usual is because you get six options today. So let's look at these again. I'm going to read through them. What I want to challenge you to do is pick one to think about. You might write it down. You might just remember the key idea. But, but choose one because you won't remember them all. So here we go. Faith means giving your best to God. Faith means saying yes even when it doesn't make sense. Faith means giving up your dream so God can reveal his destiny for you. Faith is standing up for what's right even when it's not popular. Faith means believing that God can do the impossible. Faith perseveres when nothing seems to be happening. Could you take one of those with you this week and think about it and pray about it? What's the bottom line for you? To close out, Here's what I want to do. I want to read to you the final verses of chapter 11. Not going to put them on the screen. You're welcome to close your eyes if you want to. I want you to listen to these powerful words. He's been talking about all these people of faith. And then the author says in verse 32, What more shall I say? I don't even have time to tell you about Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah or David or Samuel, the prophets, 
who through faith, these guys conquered kingdoms, they administered justice, they gained what was promised, they shut the mouths of lions, they quenched the fury of the flames, they escaped the edge of the sword, their weakness was turned to strength, they became powerful in battle, they routed foreign armies. There were women who received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings. Others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went around in sheepskins and goatskins. They were destitute, persecuted. They were mistreated. Listen, listen. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains. They lived in caves and holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, and yet, yet none of them received what had been promised. Because God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. In other words, they lived before the time of Jesus. They didn't experience Jesus yet. They were just clinging to a promise. And they died still longing for what was available to them. William Barclay said they died not in despair but in hope. And so their faith conquered death because they knew what was coming and we've experienced it through Jesus. The world was not worthy of them, but we learn from them because, friends, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Let's pray. Father, we look at the heroes of the faith in the Bible, and man, they were so flawed, and nobody's perfect except Jesus, and we get that. But God, we, we look at their stories, and we see how they lived against all odds, lives for you, radical faith. They believed you even when the heavens were silent. And they lived for you in the face of opposition to the highest person in the world, the Pharaoh. These men and women of faith were, were determined, God, to obey you and follow you even when it didn't make sense. And now here we are on the other side of the cross and we've experienced grace and we've seen what you've done in our lives through Jesus and we have so much to live for. May we be men and women of faith like they were. May we live lives that are radically devoted to you. I pray as a church, I pray as families, parents, kids, God, that we would be men and women of faith. Use us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.